Before we moved here, Natalie and I lived in Greenville, South Carolina, in this little postage stamp of a neighborhood called the Greater Sullivan Historic Neighborhood, sweet little neighborhood, about 500 homes. And uh, in Greater Sullivan, there was one church, Long Branch Baptist Church. And Long Branch, like, for this little community, Long Branch had a lot of property. And, uh, and it was just an amazing church, and, uh, and I was so grateful for their pastor. His name was Pastor Sean Dogan, and when I would see him in the community, it was always Pastor Dogan, Pastor Sean. He was probably younger than me, but he just, like, he was the man in that neighborhood, and his, his wife was uh, First Lady Satriva, and man, everybody would call her First Lady, and that was the first time I'd ever heard a pastor's wife called First Lady. I'd never heard that in my entire life, and, uh, and so now, Rochelle, I'm not sure if Rochelle is watching, but I don't have the mic on, Scott. You should have gotten on to me. Um, I'm not sure if Rochelle is watching by Facebook Live, but uh, Rochelle will often refer to Natalie as First Lady, and, uh, and, Nat- and like Natalie, it makes her feel old. But she's so appreciative of the sort of honor that Rochelle is uh, expressing toward my wife. I I love going to Long Branch uh, because of Pastor uh, Sean and First Lady Satriva and the difference that they made in our community. I love Long Branch because um, you could tell the, the church's history just on their property. And uh, so it almost like you would have the old sanctuary that looked very much like a church with the steeple and, you know, the white and church and all that, right? And it would seat like 150 people. Then you had this more modern thing next to it because they had outgrown that thing. And this thing was more like a gym meets, a, like a, meets an event space, right? And it could seat like 800 for church, but they could also turn it into a basketball gym or they could turn it into like a conference hall. And, uh, and, and eventually they wanted to grow it out. So the church was, is one day going to look like a bunch of Russian nesting dolls. Like you'll have the little one here and the bigger one and the bigger one, right? And, uh, and I love their vision for what they want to see God do in, in the community through their church. Like, so they uh, took some of the lawn on their property and turned it into like an urban garden. Uh, like a community garden uh, in in a in a under resourced neighborhood, right? And that became in a way that they were employing teenagers to then transition them into the job market, teach them financial skills. They had a, a piece of property they had. They had purchased some property that adjoined it that was an old school, and they were going to take all the old school classrooms and turn them into financial coaching and employment coaching uh, wing on the property of the church so that people could come in and get job training and career training and financial coaching. I love like, that they wanted to see that community changed because that church was in the community. But my favorite thing about that church was their banners. I'm a nerd about stuff like this. Like, so you would walk in the building and, um, and there was a banner of Pastor Sean and First Lady Satriva. Now, you will never see a banner of me here. I think it'd be kind of cool. Like, um, you'll never see, and you're certainly never going to see a banner of Natalie. Like, you're never going to see it. But you would walk in, and you could tell they love their pastor, and they love the first lady, because they had a banner of the pastor. I just thought that was wild. I'd never seen that, right? But my favorite banner in there, they would, they would be like these two banners, right? The ones you would see the most as you walked into the space was their theme for the year. And every year in the end of the summer and the fall, like Pastor Sean would pray, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to be in the next year? And they would come up with a theme for the, a theme for the year, and that would drive them in the year to come. And I carried that to Charlestown because I wanted to see God, uh, whatever he was going to do in Charlestown, I wanted us to be so focused that for 12 months we would try to see what God wanted to do, and then we were going to stick with it. And so in 2020, like, 
This time last year we were praying and the, the idea that God kept putting on my heart was this idea of being rooted, growing deeper roots from Psalm 1, being rooted and then growing deeper together in Christ. Like that's what I've wanted for our church this year, that we would grow deeper together in Christ. And it's amazing to think about 12 months ago, pre-COVID-19, pre-four, lo- like three locations ago when the church met at the Harvard Kent and, uh, and to see all God has done through the changes and challenges of the year. But even in the midst of all that, I keep saying, God, are we growing? Are we together? Are we deeper? And are we in Christ? Like that's the metric for what we've been trying to go. Whatever God's going to call us to in 2021 as a church and 22 and 23 and beyond, and whatever God's going to call you to, you got to get deep roots for it. In the South, there's all kinds of pine trees. And, and tornadoes in the South are magnets for two things, trailer parks and pine trees. And you can tell when you drive down the highway if a, if a, um, if a tornado has come through because all the pine trees will be uprooted because a pine tree's roots just go straight down. They're not super deep. They don't go out. Whatever God's going to do in our life, we've got to have deep roots and we've got to have roots that go out. And our roots have even got to be interconnected if we're going to be all God has called us to be. And so today I want to reflect on that theme for the year. And if you don't mind, I want to reflect on uh, where we are and, where, and next week we're going to talk about where we're heading. So 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, let me read this. I'll give you a little bit of context and then we'll build on it. Peter is an older man now and he's writing to some churches in... Uh, in the Roman Empire, he's probably writing from Rome uh, as he gets older, and he's writing to churches in what's today Turkey, but then it's, called, it's referred to as Asia Minor, and uh, it's, it's a lot of the, each city has its own network of house churches, and he, so he's writing to these house churches in the first century, and he says this, so I exhort the elders, now elders doesn't mean necessarily the people with gray hair. Elders is the New Testament word for pastors. Typically, they were older, but not always. In fact, two of Paul's protégés, Timothy and Titus, were actually younger men, but were elders in a church. So he says, I exhort uh, the elders among you, Peter writes, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, Peter's older. And in this passage, he's, he's primarily focusing on the pastors, the elders. And, and he's writing multiple churches and talking about to all these churches what healthy churches look like. And in a healthy church, so he's writing, he says, to the elders. And in a sense, he's talking to all the elders in that region. But he's also saying a church should not just have one pastor. Every church should have multiple elders and pastors and teachers and leaders, and so he's speaking about the biblical. He's not. He, he's even here in one of these verses. He's talking about some of the qualifications, like you should do this willingly, you should do this eagerly. These are the qualifications and traits of biblical pastors or elders, and then deacons. At, at Christ Church, we don't have deacons. We would. We will probably not ever use that role because it just sounds kind of antiquated to me. 
but the, ro- the role is essentially a ministry director. That Greek word for deacon, if you've ever grown up in church and heard that word, that Greek word for deacon just means table waiter. The closest thing we have to that at Christ Church Charlestown in a lot of ways is Kayla. Uh, man, Kayla does stuff that you will never see and never know she, know she does. Like She is like a ninja serving Jesus in this community in our church, right? And, uh, and that is what, and that, these are the people Paul's addressing, the leaders. Um, in our context, this would be some paid people and this would be some unpaid people, but it's the people who are leading God's flock. And, and, and Peter starts off saying, look, he says, I am one of you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He says, I am one of you. I am a shepherd. This is Peter who walked on water who Jesus restored, Jesus' best friend. This is Jesus essentially his best friend. And Peter says, listen, guys, in God's church, there is Jesus, the chief shepherd. And then he says, I'm equal with you. And we're under shepherds is kind of the biblical word. Jesus is the pastor, the capital S shepherd, the capital C chief shepherd. And he says, I'm one of you. I'm equal with you because in God's economy, there's no super pastors and there's no super Christians. There's Jesus and all the rest of us right? This is how churches should work. Jesus, everybody, pastors. Jesus, everybody, pastors and leaders. That's how the church is to work. And that's what Peter is addressing here. And further, he says, I'm doing this shepherding pastor, pastoring as a witness. He says, I'm doing this as a witness to the sufferings of Jesus. So on one side, he says, look, I watched Jesus die. I watched him die and rise from the dead. And he says, and I'm also doing this as one who will be a partaker in glory in eternity that hasn't happened. In other words, we're all living between the already and the not yet. Peter says, we're doing ministry between the already and not yet. We're doing church between the already and the not yet. Like the already of Jesus has accomplished our redemption and I don't have to make God happy. Jesus paid the price and God is pleased with me because of Christ. That's the already. But the not yet is, I don't get it all right. I don't believe perfectly. I still snap at my spouse. I still don't want to go to work. I still struggle. So we live between the already and the not quite yet. And we do life and careers and school and dating and marriage and parenting and grandparenting and church and all of it between the death and resurrection of Jesus and this eagerly awaited second coming that we don't talk quite enough about. And between these two, he commands pastors. So if Peter were sitting here today, these first couple of verses, Peter would kind of turn his chair like this. If he were sitting right here and he would say, J.D., this first part's for you. He's aiming at the pastors to shepherd the flock of God. That would be you. So he's also addressing you, the flock of God. Now, I want to tell you this. Some of you today are the, all of you today are the flock of God. But some of you one day will be the shepherds in this church. Some of you don't feel like you'll ever be qualified for this. You're not going to feel like you know the Bible enough or you've been around enough or you're not going to whatever. Listen, some of you one day who are the flock of God are going to be the shepherds of God. And you're going to be leaders in this church, men and women leading God's church, Christ Church, Charlestown, alongside me and we will give account to Jesus one day, I promise, and we'll find him more loving and holy and just than we imagine. So, to the pastors, they were to give oversight. A pastor has to provide oversight. Like the pastors, Jesus has entrusted me to 
be out ahead of what God is calling us to do and be and get a picture of, okay, where are we going? And then to provide oversight and see how we're going to get there. That's what Jesus, one of the things Jesus is going to hold me accountable for Sunday after Sunday, week after week, year after year, decade after decade. And this oversight, Peter says, so let me just tell you this. This is, if, if, if this is your church, like these are the three things in this passage I'm called to do and be. If you lead this church, your next pastor needs to do and be these things as well, right? Here they are. One, a pastor needs to be, he says, willing. He says, not under compulsion or out of duty. This is a calling, not a job. Your pastor should be willing to pastor you and be there for you and with you on the journey. Second, he says, should be eager, not in it for the money. If you ever have a pastor who has a private jet, find another church. Like, honestly, like, find another church. Like, look, I have pastor friends who have Lexuses or really nice cars. They don't have to be ashamed about that. Like, I had a pastor uh, in the community where we used to live. His church was thousands and thousands of people. That is a large organization. They were really generous with him. And by all accounts, from all I understood, he was always really generous to the community and to the church he pastored. But he had a nicer car. What do I care? Like, God's not going to hold me and even you accountable for what you make, but for what we do with what he blesses us with, right? And a pastor should not be in it for the money. If you ever have a pastor who's in it for the money, get out and find another pastor. Third, Peter says he should be exemplary, gentle, and humble, not in a domineering, bossy, or hypocritical way. Listen, we've all seen hypocritical pastors. We've all seen domineering pastors. It's sad. It's not how God intends for the under shepherds to be. But one day the chief shepherd, Pastor Jesus, because this is Jesus is the pastor of Christ Church Charlestown, not me. Uh, one day we will give an account to Pastor Jesus and Pastor Jesus is going to appear and we're aiming to give him the victor's crown, Peter says. In other words, like an Olympian in the ancient Greek world would compete in the ancient Greek Olympic Games and the prize, they didn't get gold and silver and bronze medals, they would get, the winner would get an, an olive leaf crown. And the winner would get that. And one day Jesus is going to hand the church a crown and we're going to hand it all back to him. Say, hey, thanks for giving us that. That was awesome. Now we're giving this back to you. And we want to do those things with humility. So today, as your under shepherd, I want to provide some oversight and commentary on this idea of being rooted, growing deeper together in Christ. I want to do like a kind of a scorecard day. And I want to tell you, I think six things before we move next week into looking to 2021. And then the week after that, we're starting our Christmas series, the weekend of Thanksgiving. We're starting a Christmas series called Christmas at the Movies. And so we'll show clips from Elf and Home Alone and The Grinch and A Christmas Story. Like a little bit uh, snippet of each movie each week or of one of those movies each week. And it'll make sense. It's going to be a lot of fun. In other words, today's the last serious day of the year, today and next Sunday. So here's the few things I want to tell you as far as oversight for our church. One, other than Jesus, who I genuinely love more every day. Um. I can feel the, the love that God is giving me to love him in my heart growing a little bit more day after day, year after year. It's, it, it's kind of like this, but the trajectory is upward. The Lord kind of drawing me in, right? I don't love him perfectly, but I love him more. Other than Jesus, I love my wife Natalie the most. 
And you need to hear me say this as your pastor, because I don't say it enough, right? Uh, I don't talk about her enough at church. I'll use her as an illustration and stuff. But as the first lady of our church, I just want to tell you, my wife is awesome. If you don't know her yet, she is one of the greatest human beings God ever made. We actually got engaged. Facebook told me. We actually got engaged 17 years ago this weekend. I didn't realize that. Um, I'm married so far up. It is a shame. In 2004, we were newlyweds. And somebody asked her, they said, did you, Natalie, feel called to ministry? And she said, she calls me John David. She said, I felt called to marry John David. And that meant I was going to be in ministry. So, yes, I felt called to ministry because I felt called to be his wife. You're never going to hear her preach a sermon. But I promise you that you have been prayed for. Many of you have been prayed with. You have been encouraged. You have been fed. You have been caffeinated. Uh, She misses Christ's kids because she would teach the elementary schoolers most Sundays during worship. And she is amazing. And I want to tell you this because a pastor is supposed to set an example. And I'm trying to learn to love my wife like Jesus loves the church. I want to tell you, the older I get, the more awkward I feel in in groups. And I just feel like I feel like I'm getting uh, just more awkward as an adult. But when she is with me, I feel safer and saner. And she doesn't complete me in the Jerry Maguire kind of way. Like Jesus completes me and Jesus completes her. But we're a much better team than we are individually. And she is an amazing first lady of the church. And if I ever have to choose between her and you, I choose her. And I want you to know that. And while I'm on my family, let me talk about my boys, Noah and Owen. I'm proud to be the father of two sons. And I thank God it's those little guys. They are exceptional. They won't always get it right, but I'm proud to be their dad. And I love, and, and, and you need to know this about my boys, because you may not. Uh, I love hearing Ed talk about his kids, uh, because you talk about your kids like I think and, and talk about my kids. Uh, every Sunday when I get home, the first thing Noah asks, I usually am home after them, is, Dad, how many people are there today? He is deeply invested in you and in your spiritual life. Um, We've prayed for you guys when you've struggled spiritually. We've prayed for you when you were hurting. We prayed for you when you experienced loss. And my kids have prayed for you. And they love you. And they're profoundly invested in what God is doing in uh, our family, but also in our church and community. And again, if I have to choose them or you, I choose them. And I I want you to keep your priorities right, to love Christ first, your family second, God's people third, and then like work and all that other, and all the other stuff, right? Let's keep things in the right and healthy order. The third thing I want to tell you today is that church is not a one-man band. I thought about Carla Marrero in the first service because she loves Prince. And, uh, And Prince, on a few of Prince's albums, he's the only one who did the vocals and all the instruments. Like... The amount of talent and skill it takes to do that is incredible. Uh, A few other musicians have done that, but he's the one that comes to mind first. Listen, church is not a one-man band. If you go to a church that's a one-man band, go find another church because it's not ever going to make a difference. I'm so thankful in our church for Kayla, who I think has left now. I think she might have snuck out. Uh, She uprooted her life to be here. She was the first one to kind of come on staff at Christ Church Charlestown. She's, uh, she came here because she loved our family and she fell in love with this community and wanted to help plant this church. Listen, she had never been on staff at a church. She had, she's the first one in her family to move away from family. 
And she hates cold weather. And yet, because she loves Jesus more than all of those things, she said yes to God when he put his hand on her heart. I'm so thankful also for Nick and Nikki, who moved here in pandemic, in faith, without full-time jobs, for less than they could be making where they lived before. But they love Jesus more than they love comfort. And there's more, more of you, but those are the staff of our church. Like if you look at the website, you're going to see their pictures. I'm so thankful that I'm not leading God's church alone. I'm going to pick on some of the rest of you in just a moment. Listen, you need to know this. We're done hiring people from the outside at this church. We're going to hire from the inside as best we can going forward, meaning we will hire New Englanders, Bostonians, and hopefully people in this church. This is your church. And as you grow deeper and we grow deeper together in Christ, God's going to raise you up to be leaders and staff and deacons and elders. And that's where we're heading. Um, That's going to honor the Lord. Uh, Fourth, you've made this year a joy. Listen, this has been the funnest year I've ever had in 21 years of ministry. I'm not kidding. I'm not like some weirdo who loves pain. Like this has been a great year. I've had a lot of pastor friends who quit this year. I know churches that are 100, 200 years old that are having the worst time they've ever had. And I'm having the most fun I've ever had. And it's mostly because of you and the people who are watching on Facebook Live. Like, honestly, you've given. uh, People in Christ Church have given like never before, truly, which has allowed us to give back into this community in a way we never have before. We pay, this is in the budget that you'll see Wednesday if you come to the family meeting on Zoom at 6.30, so I'm not telling you something that's hidden. We budgeted every year $42,000 to pay the rent to meet at the Harvard Kent. We took all the money, essentially, that we would have spent on rent this year and have just given it away into our community. Now, a lot of, a lot of churches, when they saw their rent go away, they would have thought, I got to stop, we got to stop spending we were able to hit the gas and say, how can we step in and bless businesses and not-for-profits and senior adults and little league teams and everything else? And so much of that is because of you. Um, You've been in Facebook Live and you've commented. I've been in other churches' Facebook Lives and nobody talks. And it's so miserable, honestly. Like I would have people on Facebook Live who'd be like, I didn't hear a word you said. I was busy just talking to my friends about how I was this week. That is good. Some of you are Facebook Live right now. Just talk away. Go rewatch the sermon later. This is good. The church is community. This is growing deeper together in Christ. You showed up at Eden Street Park and you showed up here at the theater. I was told by one of the most respected pastors in New England. Uh, Ed, this guy told me this three weeks ago before we met. He said, JD, in no uncertain terms, I want to tell you. He said, you can expect to have 30% of the crowd you had before pandemic at your church. We've had more people coming to this theater than we've ever had showing up on Sundays, including Facebook Live. And that's because of you and your faith and your willingness to lay it all on the line to be part of what God is doing. Your faith and action has made uh, oversight and pastoring you a joy. God has blessed me through you in ways this year that he has never blessed me before. Drilling down, I want to celebrate a couple of you. I'm going to celebrate all of you, but I want to celebrate a couple of you very specifically. Barb, a few weeks ago, God was impressing on her heart the need to invite some of her friends to come on Sunday. And she had been like, there's God telling you to do, has this ever happened to you? God telling her to do something on one hand and fear telling her don't do it on the other hand, right? And so she invited those five friends and, uh, and two of them, those households have come 
And then others are still her friends, though they haven't come yet or may never come, and that's great. And, um, but man, the courage to obey God is so exemplary. And because of that, there's five new people who are coming to our church, two households, because of that faith. It's so good. I think about Jamie Carmody. He comes to the first service. Jamie and Barb are the head of the stewardship team of our church. I'm going to tell you something on Facebook Live I maybe shouldn't tell. Um, when the PPP money came out, most churches took it. They were encouraged to take it. It's not a, that's what it was there for businesses as, all, as well as not for profits. And, uh, and Jamie and Barb are like, don't take it. We don't need it. We don't need the, the government to come in and do for us what we can do if we just live by faith and obedience. Guys, I'm telling you, like, that was a big leap of faith that Jamie took that day, and it steadied my heart. I think about Michaela, who started a new community group on Zoom in the middle of pandemic, and it is a strong little group of about seven people. And if you can think, if there's a small group that's like, adds up the, like, what it means to be, like, a CrossFit member and a vegan and gluten-free, like, that enthusiasm into, like, a small group, that is Michaela's small group that was started during Zoom. I'm thankful for my friend Howard and his wife, Julie. Howard, a couple of months ago, got hit by a car right outside her house, and, um, and we saw right after it happened, and uh, my family began to pray, and Natalie reached out to his wife, Julie, because we had heard he had passed away, and, uh, and he lived uh, miraculously. And, uh, and he, after being in a coma for eight days, um, woke up, not just like with a new lease on life with regard to his health, but with regard to his faith too. And getting to know you, my friend, has been one of the great like pastoral privileges of the last year. I'm so thankful for you and, and for your wife as well. I'm so thankful for Ed and Bonnie and their kids who drive an hour to be here. That's a long ways. And Ed's told me a couple times, he's like, J.D., I don't know why I'm driving an hour. And, and, and kudos to Bonnie, by the way, because Ed can get up and put on a sweatshirt and sweatpants and come to church. But I know what it's like to be married to Natalie to know your kids ain't doing that. So kudos to you on having your beautiful children here. So grateful. And Ed's told me, he said, I don't know that this is long term. I just know I feel like for this moment, this is where God would have me as he's hungry for what God's doing in his life. An hour, one way to be here. I'm so thankful for Nicole and Miguel. Nicole, you're the first townie who's ever stuck in our church. Uh, We've had townies come once and even three and four times. You're the first one who's ever come consistently. It takes a lot of courage to be that first person. God has done incredible encouragement in my heart through your faith. Thankful for you two, uh, also townies, who probably both thought individually about coming for months, but the ability to come together made it much less scary. And uh, it blesses my heart every Sunday when you walk in. I love you too. So very much, Kelly and Caitlin. I'm thankful for Ruth and Saul. A year ago, Ruth was providing pastries and coffee on Sundays at Anna's. And now you guys are so much part of the family of what God's doing in this community. So thankful for Miss Alicia. I assume she's maybe watching my Facebook Live. Uh, Miss Alicia uh, is the most life-experienced member of our church. And... um, and it was a, because of uh, just some real concerns about health and the pandemic. It's a real sacrifice to her, for her to come when we were meeting at the park, a real leap of faith. And yet she did. And so many are encouraged by her love and how she's so glad to see everybody. And she chimes in on Facebook Live and is loving uh, having the ability to be here, even though she can't 
be here. I think about the other young moms. I think about Jackie, uh, man, who has literally a book of your crazy life before what God is doing now. And I feel like God's writing a sequel in your life right now. And your willingness to let it lead where he leads you is very sweet. I'm so thankful for you. And I'm thankful for Renee, who pound for pound is the most theologically hungry person in our church and also the one who has come the farthest in his family to Natalie and I. And I'm so proud of you and so thankful for you. Additionally, there are repenters and givers and leap of faithers and, invi- and people doing stuff invisibly and steady and faithfully and encouragers and worshipers and prayers. And I'm not celebrating any of you as much this morning as I'm celebrating Jesus and his work in and through you. Are we deeper together uh, than we were a year ago? I believe so. I'll tell you this. I'm less worried about being the largest church in Charleston. Couldn't begin to care less about that. I want three things for Christ Church Charlestown. One, I want us to be the healthiest church in Charlestown. Let's not think about size. Let's think about health. Because a tumor is cells that are growing fast, right? We don't, we're not aiming for size. We're aiming for health. We want to be a healthy church where the people love Christ and love one another and love this community. I'm aiming for us to be the, the one church that the community knows is most for them. If people said is, in Charlestown, is Jesus for me? They would say, yes, he is, because Christ Church Charlestown is for me. And the third thing I'm aiming for is for us to be the church that Jesus would delight to visit and even pastor if he dropped in today. If Jesus walked in the back door and sat right behind Miss Bonnie, I would want him to say, these are my people. I fit in here. This is all right. Uh, and that's what we're aiming at. And then the last thing I want to tell you today is there are 46 days left in 2020. I counted. I'm not great at math, but I figured that out. I want to be gentle but honest with you. We need 46 days of growing. We need 46 days deeper. We need 46 days together. And we need 46 days in Christ. All of it deeper, more rooted. We need that. In the Bible, people would consecrate things. To consecrate something or a person or a thing was to set it aside and declare it as belonging to God, declaring it holy, put out for a divine purpose. Can we today in our hearts and together consecrate these last 46 days of 2020, this crazy train wreck, some would say, of a year that we call 2020? Can we set the last 46 days aside to God and grow deeper in Christ, believing Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Believing God is going to continue to work. And I want to tell us, I think we've got for 46 days to go deeper in three areas. We'll talk about this in family meeting, but some of you won't be able to be there, so I want to share it with you. We've got to go deeper in prayer. On January 1st, we have no place to meet as of right now. And we need to earnestly begin to pray. Uh, if, God, if you think about church tomorrow or Wednesday or Friday, God, will you allow our church to have a place to meet on January 1st? I pray it's this space, but if it's not, God, would you provide a space? And he, we need to pray that earnestly. Second way, I want to challenge you to go deeper. For, I'm sorry, Nick, I'm hurrying. Um, Nick's got a little timer up here, uh, and I just passed it. Uh, we got to go deeper. I want us to go deeper in giving. We're going to give, because of your generosity to this point, our faith budget for the year is the budget that we aim at. If, if we hit the lottery, we've already passed our faith budget for the year. We've done everything we want to do. So from the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend through the end of the year, we're giving everything away to church planting and missions and a couple of not-for-profits in the community. 
I want us to save our best giving in 2020 for the last, and we're going to give every bit of it away. And then finally, I think we need to go deeper in attendance. I don't know if you know it. We can only have 25 people in here on Sunday. We're packed out in here. We can add just a couple more in the first service. We really believe that unless the pandemic numbers radically shift, making it unsafe to meet, we really believe once we get to Advent, we need a third service. Because you have friends who, as God's doing something in your life, God's also doing something in their life, and you're telling me, I'm thinking about inviting so-and-so, and I think this person may come. And we want to create room for them during Advent, all right? To do that, I need you to go deep in attending because it would be a train wreck to have three services and not have people in them. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you, I'm going to oversee you and encourage you to go deeper in prayer and in giving and in attending from now to the end of the year. And I believe God is going to do incredible things. I'm going to share with you Wednesday at the family meeting at 630 what we believe God's calling us to 2021. And it's like, it's bigger than us. So I'm super excited. Let me pray because the buzzer tells me I need to. The buzzer through the iPad, the presence of the Holy Spirit, that little red line. God, thank you so much for these folks, these uh, these brothers and sisters, these uh, neighbors, uh, some of them not yet quite followers of Christ. They're totally open to it. They wouldn't be here. They're exploring. Uh, Lord, would you give them clarity to know when it's the right time to cross the line and just give themselves to you? And we've talked this morning about Jesus, and we've talked about God, and we've talked about the Spirit even, which can sound the most mystical. But the truth is, God, we're just, when someone becomes a Christian, they're just turning from their self-rule and autonomy and their sin and, and, and asking you to invade their life. So for the ones who are thinking about that, these neighbors who I love so much, will you give them courage to cross over and ask you to become the Lord of their life, to come into their life, to forgive them, and to be made new in Christ and begin a relationship with you. Not religion, relationship. God, for the others, God, would you, would you allow us to go deeper? Will you allow Natalie and Noah and Owen and I to go deeper um, in giving and praying and in attending? And will you allow the rest of us, God? I, I believe that uh, the very best days are ahead. And I can literally, as I sort of just climb up and get some perspective, I can almost see them that some really good days are ahead for what you're about to do in our community and in our church. So God, will you help us to grow deeper together in Christ, to be more rooted in you and in one another and in the mission that you've started in this community and in this world. And Lord, thank you for everybody being here. It's an act of faith. It truly is an act of faith to be in any church on a Sunday morning, but especially this year. So bless these folks. God, as they walk out of here in just a moment, will they walk out in, in, the, love of, in, in the love of God and the friendship of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit? Will you send them out, uh, not to their lives, but will you send them out into the mission field where you have called them to live on mission with you? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.